Hola amigos. Somos familia. We are family. Welcome to the Tortilla Diaries. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Dominguez Karimi. And thanks for joining me this month as we celebrate La Familia Mexicana, Mexican-American families. Each month, our program will feature a variety of topics. One month, I may feature life stories taken from my Treasures from Aslan Oral History Project, or perhaps interviews from Latinos in different professions. Another month, I may highlight Afro-Latino artists or indigenous artists performing their music, reading their poetry, or short stories. Our goal remains to break down the barriers that exist between cultures and create a better understanding between peoples. Please join me in celebrating this rich and diverse culture. And remember, somos familia. Hi, this is Dr. Rebecca Dominguez Karimi. Today, we'll be listening to my interview with Sasha Mogini, author, activist, and book club facilitator for the Cream Literary Alliance as part of my Hispanic Heritage Month series. So grab a cup of chocolate and enjoy. Okay, Sasha, if you could just tell me about where you grew up and your family life. And uh, I know that uh, you're mixed heritage, so give us a little bit of information, more information about that as well. Uh, Sure. So I was born and raised in Miami to a Chilean mother and an Iranian father. They were both immigrants to the United States, and they had both come from countries ravaged by coups and revolutions. So they actually had a lot in common, uh, more than one might imagine. Neither of them was very religious. It never interfered with how they thought my sisters and I should be raised. They were both really open-minded. I I guess they had to be because they married each other. (laughs) So they liked to take us to like the Greek Orthodox church that was down the street for parties or the Chinese New Year festival or the Indian Diwali celebration. Um, Miami is so full of diversity that if you know where to look, they made sure to take us anywhere that was free and diverse. They wanted us to be citizens of the world. I just feel so lucky that my parents encouraged us to read and think for ourselves and to see everyone as worthy of respect and love. Well, when I was in elementary school, there were other, there were really no other Latin students. The Spanish for Spanish speakers class consisted of my three sisters, me, and two other students. We never met any other Persians until I was maybe 11. We didn't think much of it as we really had nothing to compare it to. My high school was about 95% Latin. It was Jihom Braddock down in Kendall, and I learned to hear Spanish in the hallways and in the classroom. Actually, my pre-calculus teacher didn't speak English well. So frequently, she resorted to explanations in Spanish, which I found very confusing because my Spanish did not extend to mathematical theorems. But as the curriculum was mostly geared to preparing us for college admissions and AP exams, 
we mostly studied a wide canon of literature, history, social science, and even biology. I didn't see a Chilean or a Persian anywhere as a character or as a, in the media until I went out and looked for them myself. What about your writing? When did you start writing and how did these serve as uh, instrument, uh, being instrumental for you as, a, as your growth as a writer? You know, I was thinking about this and I asked, I called up my dad and my mom and asked them and they said, you were always telling stories. Like we can't even remember when you first started, you were always just doing it. I also went to a writing magnet program for elementary and we wrote, we got to write these little books and then they were laminated and presented to our parents. I wrote a haiku that won second place in a, in a contest for Dade County that was about the effect of an oil spill on animal wildlife. We also went to the library every week and I started my first writing group when I was only nine years old. Most of the members were from the next door nursing home and we spent each meeting listening to each other read. And they never made me feel that because I was a child, I wasn't a writer. They were just like, okay, Sasha, what did you bring today? And I would share my story about sea otters or rabbits or whatever it was that I was writing about. I, there was especially that I remember a 95-year-old poet named Aaron Rose who talked about living through the Depression and uh, World War II. And he was a poet. And he said that he never had time to be a poet until he retired. So he said, uh, you know, keep writing, never stop pursuing my dreams. You know, my dad was an accountant and um, when I was a kid. And so he used to read us a story at night and put us to bed. And then he would go to the Florida room and write. And he wrote, um, my dad actually has written a couple children's books. I believe they're on Amazon. You can find them. They're self-published. He used to write us stories and test them out on us. And I told him when I was little that I wanted to be a writer. And he said, writing is just a hobby. Get a career. I kept dreaming about writing. And in 2015, I said, you know, I just want to take a creative writing class. The Miami Book Fair had um, a series of classes on Saturday mornings. So I would drive down to Miami from Fort, uh, from Fort Lauderdale, you know, write prompts. It felt like my life just exploded with all this color. And I realized that I'd been spending so much time focusing on developing a career that I had let the writing go. And I realized that I needed to have writing in my life consistently. So with my, with my classmates from the first creative writing class, we started a group that met Saturday mornings after the class finished at the Books and Books in Coral Gables. And at that first meeting, none of us knew what to do, but I brought prompts. So we wrote to the prompts. And then after that, I kept bringing the prompts and we would sit there and write together and talk about craft and where to share our work and where to look for publishing. And as I grew more and more confident sitting with this little group and writing prompts, I realized that I wanted to be a writer all the time, every minute of every day. So I've searched for classes and I've traveled for uh, the country to take what I could on scholarships and borrowed money to learn and to grow. I've been super lucky to have been um, part of VONA, which is the Voices of Our Nation Art Foundation. They gave me, they were my first writing workshop 
Um, I've also been to Tin House and the Aspen Summer Words Program as the Emerging uh, Fellow for Nonfiction. I've been to Hedgebrook, which is a writing community for women. So I've just been so lucky to have so many people taking a chance on me and giving me scholarships and helping me get on flights um, so that I can learn more and grow. I'm still in the process of learning, I feel, but I'm actually getting work done on a novel. And I also run the two book clubs as well through both, through both the cream. We have that quarterly book club where the theme is all you need is love. And uh, through the book club, uh, through the writing group in Miami, we have um, our theme is burn it down. <laughs> and all our books are themed with fire or burning of some sort in the title. And I just, I like to be literary with other people. I like to share what's good. I like to be part of the literary community and to support as many people as I can support uh, either through promoting their book or their essay that they may have published or a short story mm -hmm. or a poem. I think it's just a way to be a good literary, literary citizen. You're listening to The Tortilla Diaries, a monthly production of Treasures from Aslan, written and produced by Dr. Rebecca dominguez Tomimi. For this next segment of the program, I've invited Sasha Mogimi, author, activist, and member of the Cream Literary Alliance, to read one of her works entitled, What It's Like to Be a Latin. My best friend Nicole and I used to meet up for lunch in between classes if we were on campus at the same time. Nicole had a Cuban father and a Nicaraguan mother, and we'd gone to high school together and had discovered a shared love of fantasy, graphic novels, and indie films. Neither of us spoke fluent Spanish, so we also understood what it was like to not fit in entirely in a community where speaking Spanish is currency. One time, at the college food court, we decided on pollo de capital. We were frequently broke, so we'd share lunch to save on cash. As we got in the line, I didn't want to eat the chicken. I was flirting with becoming a vegetarian, so I wanted to learn how to eat fast food without leaning on meat. I did not like yuca fries, but if she wanted it, that was fine. I just wanted arroz con frijoles and, of course, the plátano. She wanted to splurge on dessert too, but I made a face at arroz con leche and flan. I'm lactose intolerant, and I did not want a stomachache before classes, even though I love flan. As we negotiated, ordered, and paid, and then sat down to eat, Nicole shook her head and said, you are the most unlatin Latina I know. I laughed and shrugged ruefully, but deep down, I felt like I had just lost something. I look like my Iranian father, so my skin is brown, unlike two of my sisters, and Nicole, who could all pass for white. I don't speak fluent Spanish. 
My dad was the primary cook at home, so we mostly ate Persian food. Was I less Spanish than Nicole because only one of my parents was Latin? Was I less Spanish because I grew up eating mostly Persian food? Or because my idea of Latin cooking was chili and empanadas, churrasco sandwiches, sopa y pillo, and pisco lepre? When my mom cooked, she made things like porotos con rienda, which is kidney with noodles in a soup. Porotos, she called them, not frijoles. I never actually spoke of it with Nicole, but it's something that has stayed with me, and I've struggled to define what it means to be a Latina. While I was definitely a daddy's girl, I never felt like I had less Chilean blood in my body, and I never questioned whether I was Chilean or Iranian or American. I felt as though I was all three, and nothing could change that. 9-11 happened, making me realize that many Americans did not see me as American. And a few months later, this conversation that I had with Nicole made me question my Latin identity as well. In hindsight, if 9-11 had not happened, I might not have been in a position where I needed to question who I was or what I was. Growing up, my mother always emphasized that we were Chilean, not Mexican or Cuban or Puerto Rican or Argentinian, God forbid. When we watched the World Cup or the Olympics, which we watched all the time, we would stand and cheer for the teams from Chile, Iran, and the United States. We read the poetry of Gabriela Mistral, a Chilean poet who was the first Latin American to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, along, of course, with Pablo Neruda, Verdosi, and Hafez. My parents told us stories of growing up on the streets of Santiago and Tehran, how they used to go for fresh bread or fruits down the street and play with neighborhood children. We visited with my abuelos, my tios, and their wives and children, and celebrated Noche Buena together. We celebrated Chilean Independence Day on September 18, and knew that Bernardo O'Higgins was the founding father who had fought Spain for Chile's independence. My mother was proud that her mother had been born in As her grandmother had been born in Asturias, Spain and that we also had Mapuche blood in our mix. It is in this statement, the pride of having both the blood of Spaniards and indigenous, that we can see the complexity of being Hispanic, of being Latin. They seem inherently opposed to each other. How can we be proud of having Spanish blood when it was the Spanish who came to the land and colonized the indigenous? The indigenous who had built canals and waterways and houses and weren't as backwards as the Spanish would have you believe to defend their colonization. Having both Spanish blood and indigenous blood means there was probably rape in my bloodline. How can I be proud of Spanish blood when Chile celebrates its freedom from the Spaniards every September 18th and have a statue all over the place to their liberator, Bernardo O'Higgins? How can I be proud of Spanish blood when I read about how the Spaniards would take the children born to the indigenous women they had raped and send them to Spain so they could be raised the right way. And yet, I did feel pride when I was a child. Of course, until I read accounts by Bartolome de las Casas and Bernal del Castillo and so many other historical accounts. And I realized how complex it was that we can be proud of our indigenous heritage, how proud we can be of being freedom from Spain. And yet, 
how we can also be proud of having Spanish blood. Having Spanish blood is our proximity to whiteness. Within our own cultural narratives, it is having Spanish blood that makes you Hispanic, and that makes you close to white, closer to whiteness than to blackness. If we pull the camera back, being a Latina in the United States is an equally complicated matter. Listening to an episode of NPR's El Latino, I heard one of the hosts, Jasmine Garst, say that when you are from a Latino country, you identify as that nationality. But when you come to the United States, you fall under an umbrella of Latin. This is why when the president talks of Mexican, I know he is talking about all of us, even though I'm Chilean. Most Americans don't know there is a difference between nationalities. To them, we are all Mexican, all Latin, all Hispanic. They don't see the nuance or the nationalities. I began reading books by Chileans and, and then expanded out to other Latino writers like Sandra Cisneros and Julia Alvarez. While there are differences, nuances in language and mannerisms and food, I found community with the Latin writers I've been reading. I am not the same as them, but I'm not that different either. In truth, I'm also not that different from the Persian writers either. I'm my own person, but I have commonalities with both groups. I needed to learn more about each of these identities in order to cement my own. And I began to feel more and more comfortable keeping myself as a Persian Chilean American. I am more comfortable now in my own skin and as a writer, a reader, a community activist, and a leader. I believe we are all stronger together, even with our differences. For our final segment of the program, I'll be continuing my interview with Sasha Mogimi, author, activist, and member of the Cream Literary Alliance. Were you ever discouraged from using any foreign words or language in your essays or in your poetry or in your creative nonfiction or fiction works? My first uh, workshop, as I had mentioned, was with uh, VONA, the Voices of Our Nation Arts Foundation, which is predominantly writers of color. And this includes the encouragement of using natural speech or, or of, of using what is natural to us and to our communities. If I have a character that's based on my abuela, it would make sense if she spoke Spanish. And my father and mother both sprinkle in their own natural, their own native language in their speech, because sometimes they're just, the word doesn't exist in English. And I love those words. My parents were like that. They, they spoke a mixture of their languages, partly because they were also learning English when I was born. So I was the primary English speaker at home. So I had to learn how to translate for my parents through just, I'm not just linguistically, but culturally to be honest about myself as a person, as a writer, and to represent my community. I have to use Spanish or Farsi or some mixture of both. And I think because I went to Vona and that was my first experience that by the time I went to other places, I said, nope, this is, I'm saying with, with these words in this, in this language. 
for example, I wrote about my sister's death. When I went home and saw my father right after my sister had died, my father just kept saying, Bacha Mord, which is my baby has died. He said it in Varsi. He wasn't thinking in English. He wasn't, he was grieving, he was in shock, and his natural tongue went to Farsi. And if I'm writing about that moment, I'm not going to write his words in English because my dad, my dad was speaking to me in Farsi. And I think it's just the authenticity of that experience. If it's to be shared, it has to be shared with my father speaking in Farsi. So I think that that anyone who pushes back on that is just not asking for an honest experience. You know, and Judo Diaz says that, you know, like in Lord of the Rings, there's like full paragraphs in Elvish and no one complains about that, you know, or, and I was reading, you know, J, uh, Charlotte Bronte and in like Viette, she has full paragraphs in French and I've <laughs> just sort of skipped over. I'm like, I don't understand it, but it's fine. I get the context. So I think that we, we have to monitor that when, who the people who are complaining are they also complaining about the French and the Elvish? Or are they only complaining when it comes to communities of color? I think um, you the nail on the head. What obstacles have been put before you and how have you overcome them? And uh, especially as a, a writer who- Of color. Of color and who doesn't really fit in one particular category, but you, know, you, you, you share the beauty of this multi-ethnicity that I'm sure you want to celebrate. I do. And what's interesting is, you know, one of the things that when I was looking for books, for example, by Persian writers, I discovered that a lot of them had horror stories to tell of, of Iran. When I think of Iran, I'm not thinking of terrorism. I'm thinking of the cookies or the poetry, or the Persian carpets, or Persian cats even, you know? And I, I know that I've talked to some Latin writers, and they've said that they've gotten pushback saying, you know, when they've submitted query letters, saying, oh, I already have a Latin writer, as if there was only one Latin story out there, or as if all the different experiences of being Latin were concentrated in one region. My story of being a Chilean and eating churrasco sandwiches and cheering on El Tri when we were, you know, or listening to Los Prisioneros is completely different from someone who grew up in Mexico or Cuba or Puerto Rico. I can't claim the Boricua experience. I can only claim, I can only claim the Chilean one and, and not even the only Chilean one, but the Chilean one of being half Chilean, of being, of growing up in Miami, which is different than if I had grown up in Chile or Iran as a Chilean, you know? Yeah. There's such a wide variety of stories and experiences between all of these different regions. One can't imagine how much work we still have to do to get past these gatekeepers and show them the full spectrum that exists of Latin characters and Latin stories. 
That's very true. Uh, whenever I was uh, doing research for my dissertation, there was a real lack of work on Mexican Americans in general. Yeah. And it, it was a little frustrating at times because I wanted to hear their voice and their perspective on a lot of things rather than uh, sanitized versions. I did rely heavily upon the Chicano uh, literary canon or canon that, that was available. Yeah, and, and there's still now, so little of them. Yeah, and now, fortunately, it seems like they've been increasing, and I'm very happy for that. But a lot more work still needs to be done and published. As you said, these alternate voices need to be heard. We are increasing the numbers of, of Latin works and Black authors and Persian writers, um, and we are expanding experiences. So I think that's a good sign, but it's still not proportionate to the representation exactly. that we have in this country. You just have so many wonderful insights into being a multi-ethnic person and, and having so many wonderful experiences that I'm sure that uh, our listeners would like to, to hear. So what, uh, how has your heritage reflected itself in your writing? What I like is that when I started to really explore my writing, one of the things that I came to was that I wanted to write multi-ethnic characters in a variety of genre. And one of the short stories I wrote had a couple coming from Chile fleeing the coup. They're named Pilar and Enrique. The TSA officer can't pronounce their names. And he says, Pillar, your name is Pillar. And she's just like letting it go. And then he's saying, Enrique, they say that they're coming here for school. And he says, ain't they got schools in Chile? <laughs> you know, but I, and I just felt like it was such a fun story to write, but it, it presented so many opportunities for me to explore these characters and what their life might be like as they moved to, to New York and experienced such a different landscape and culture. You know, I wrote about how they would go shopping. Enrique would tell Pilar, please buy me some manzanilla tea. And she's looking all over, but she can't see manzanilla because she doesn't know that it's chamomile in English. I love that story. It's still in revisions. I also wrote uh, or started to think about an idea of a mixed race or a mixed ethnic heritage girl, nine years old, who discovers a portal to another world in which there are unicorns. Uh, there's a lot of fantasy coming up right now with Latin characters and Indian characters. And, you know, the Rick Riordan presents, they've been doing this fantastic job of mythology. He does Greek mythology, but he's been inviting other writers. And so there's Mesopotamian mythology now and Black American mythology and Mexican mythology. He has one with Cuban that takes place in Miami called Sal and Gabi, Save the Universe or rip a hole in the universe and then fix a hole in the universe, something like that. But it's amazing. And I just love that there's all this diversity out there. And Daniel Jose Older, of course, has been writing these characters of, of mixed race Latino characters. I want to be just like them and write these really diverse characters who can find themselves. And so that when a little, when a little girl is reading a book, she can find a mixed race character just like her.
Yeah, I just want to expand our literary canon. That is awesome. Well, I wish you well, and I wish you great success, and I can see that coming around the corner for you, Sasha. Thank you so much, Becky. I appreciate so much uh, being asked to be here. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Tortilla Diaries. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Our next one in the Hispanic Heritage Month series will feature Eduardo Condes, poet and board member of the Cream Literary Alliance. So don't forget to tell your friends about us and subscribe to our podcast. So until then, remember, somos familia. Somos familia.